find yourself a nice seat. We are going to dive into God's Word together. Oh man, I so enjoy our times where we get to worship on Tuesday nights. And um, guys, we're getting close to the end of this series. We'll only be in this series a few more weeks, and uh, we're going to meet the next four Tuesdays in a row. And then we have a, we have a two-week break that we have at the end of May slash beginning of June. So again, we'll, we'll uh, remind everyone of that as we get closer to it. But just keep coming on Tuesday nights. We're meeting every Tuesday night for the next uh, four weeks after tonight. And I was just like, man, that's it. Four more, four more messages on holiness and humanity, and then we'll shift into something else in the summer, uh, which I should probably get working on. Um, feels like it's going to be here sooner, <laughs> sooner rather than later. But um, I do have a message for tonight, so that's good news. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and we'll get to all that stuff here in a bit. But um, I, I have to start a message. If we're going to talk about Jesus and Zacchaeus, um, I, I have to start by presenting the, the general topic about good deeds that, uh, that Christians do. This is like such, a, such an essential doctrine to understand um, because if we go into this passage thinking, oh, he does these things so that he's saved, like that's kind of the question that can, can be there. And I just want to start off by saying good deeds flow from belief in Jesus. They're not how you get to be saved. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't, it's not that good deeds are nowhere to be found in the Christian's life. No, they're obviously a part of what, what we are as Christians. But it's not the way we earn God's love. We can't do that. I can't earn God's love. You can't earn God's love. And thankfully, he's already decided to love us. So that's not on the table. And also, I can't do good things so that I'm saved. Because that honestly is the default position. If you were to ask just a random person, hey, how do you get to heaven? How do you have a relationship with God? It's like, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I do good things. Um, and, and that's the, the default position of our culture is understanding that good things get you to God. And uh, so tonight's story is not a story of a person doing good things to get to God. It's a person who experiences God and the forgiveness of God and then does good things. Um, And so we cannot get those two things out of order. I want to make sure everyone understands we're going to see the good things that flow from being a child of God, not the things that make you a child of God. This story of Jesus and Zacchaeus is so awesome. And uh, the reason it's awesome is because... Um, if we were, we're just going to rewind, rewind real quick to chapter 18. I want to show you when Zacchaeus shows up. This is in, recorded in the book of Luke. We're going to go to Luke 19 here in a second. That's where his story is. But right before that, Jesus has a conversation with a rich man who's, who doesn't uh, have a name given to him in the passage. We don't know who exactly this person is. But this rich man says, um, basically says, I've followed some of the Ten Commandments. Like, I've followed the rules. I've done the good things. What else do I need to do to be in the kingdom of God? What else do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus answers in verse 22, saying this. I have it on the screen. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, that's the rich man, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's like, whoa, whoa, I really don't want to be a rich person then in that case. It's, it's kind of like what Jesus presents. And then he continues, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Like, if this guy can't, you know, do the right things to be saved, then who can be saved? And that's when Jesus replies saying, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Again, a phrase you can throw around and you can try to apply to every single area of your life. But in the context of this passage, what he's saying is, if there are people who you would think like no way they could be saved by God, what God is saying is that doesn't exist to him. There, there isn't a person who's ever walked the face of this planet who it's impossible for God to save. It's, it's absolutely possible with God. And what's so crazy about this story, and this is why it's connected to Zacchaeus, is Zacchaeus, as we'll find out, is also very wealthy. And the first story in chapter 18, Jesus gives this heavy warning against the wealthy, not that they're, that they're condemned because they're wealthy, but he's bringing up the warning of many times, not every time, but many times, those people who had all that wealth, wealth was their God. And so what's so hard is to rip, you know, to switch from God being wealth to God being God. And that's why he's saying it's so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible, but it's hard. And that's chapter 18 is kind of, is kind of the negative story where he says, hey, do this and you'll be able to see what the kingdom of God is like. And the rich man goes away sad. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. But the reason the story of Zacchaeus is awesome is because it's the, it's the fulfillment of what Jesus just said when he says, for man, it's, it's impossible. For God, it is possible. Zacchaeus is the story of how it's possible because he's the rich person who does meet Jesus and who does get saved and enters into the kingdom of heaven. And, um, and this is why, like, the kids' song, if you grew up in church, you know, like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Everyone who didn't grow up in church are like, what is happening right now? Yes, there is a song, and I won't, I won't annoy you with any of, more of the song. But, uh, but the thing about the kids' song, it's a great way to remember the story, but it makes, it makes the whole story of Zacchaeus all about, like, how tall the guy was, right? That's literally the only thing people normally know about Zacchaeus. He's like, yeah, he was short, like, really short, like, really, really short. Like, that's kind of the idea you get from the song. And so um, uh, what, what I want to show you guys tonight is that's actually not the point of the story. It's not an important part of the story, even, I would say. It is part of the story, but not, not the important part of the story. There's something really awesome happening because Zacchaeus is the impossible story of God saving a rich man. And it, it's a story for anyone in this room who thinks they're too far gone. Anyone who thinks, like, there's just no way God could enter into my circumstances and bring change, that, that feels impossible, that is God saying, no, no, no. I want you to see what happens in Zacchaeus' life. And let that be the testimony to you, that what's impossible for us, it's not impossible for God. We, we just, we don't function the way God functions. God is the one who stands outside of time and self and has not the limitations that we have. What's impossible for us is possible for God. So here is the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. I'll read the whole part we're going to study tonight. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be with the guest, be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and I have cheated, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me pray for us as we study this passage. Father, we now ask that you would speak, and we thank you for this um, awesome story. We thank you for the life of Zacchaeus. We thank you for what you're about to use that story to speak to us. Thank you that your word is living and active. Your posture towards us isn't passive tonight. (laughs) You're not just trying to let us observe something. You're inviting us into something. And so I just pray that that's exactly what would happen over these next few minutes that we get to spend together in your word. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would move and that you would move us. Lord, I ask that you would move my heart. Um, put me at the center of what it is that you want to say here tonight. And if there's anything you don't want said, I pray that you would withhold those words from my mouth. If there's anything you want said, that you would put it on my heart. Because we just want to hear from you, God. And I submit to it, whatever it is that you have for us tonight. I submit to that. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So... Uh, you notice that Zacchaeus is first identified to us as a chief tax collector. And if you were here the the time I preached about Matthew, Matthew was also a tax collector. And we went over how like they are the hated people in in the people of Israel. They hated these tax collectors because they would rip people off. They're the ones collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans and they're upcharging, basically adding taxes on top of it so that they get to keep the money. And um, so much so, like the corruption was so intense with these tax collectors that they, they would bid for the job. Like you would actually have to put money to get the job. Why are they paying money to get the job? Because they know they're going to make all that money back and more. Okay, so it's a very corrupt system that they're a part of. And Zacchaeus is the only person in Greek literature called a chief tax collector. Chief tax collector. So we actually historically don't know exactly what that meant. Did that mean he oversaw multiple tax collectors? Was he just over a bigger area? We don't know exactly. But the, the point, the important part of the story is if the tax collectors were hated, how much more was the chief tax collector hated? Right? Like if he's in some sort of higher position of authority, this is someone that they would have been like, okay, yeah, maybe Jesus can reach Matthew. Maybe Jesus can reach Levi. But Jesus can't reach... Zacchaeus. Like, that's the person who you would say, no way, it's this guy. And then Jesus shows up in town, they're in Jericho, and uh, he wants to see him, but he's too short because he can't see over the crowd. And again, I don't know where we got this idea of, like, Zacchaeus being, like, three feet tall. Like, he is, every story, he's just, like, these really small person. What we know from the passage is that he was short enough that he couldn't see over the crowd. Now, let's just think practically speaking. What does that actually say about his height? Okay, so if I were to ask you guys to all stand up, which we're not going to do this, and then just bunch together as a crowd, right? So like shoulder to shoulder, and then I stood flat on the floor, and then I stood in front of you guys as a crowd, and I say, raise your hand if you can't see me. 
like about half of you would raise your hand. And this is, this is the thing about a crowd. I am 6'2", and so if you're anything like 5'8", that's not short, but if you're behind me, you would not be able to see the person. And so, um, again, this idea that he's this really tiny person, I just don't think it's it's important part of the story. The part of the story that matters is there's a crowd, and he can't see Jesus, and he wants to. And so that's why he climbs up this sycamore tree, which this is what a sycamore tree looks like in the land of Israel. That's that's actually near Jericho, the, that picture of that tree right there. So... Um, good choice, Zacchaeus, because that's not a hard tree to climb. Solid choice on your tree choice, uh, Zacchaeus. I, I appreciate your, your, um, your, your tree game, um, if that exists. Um, and we can learn so much about, how, about this story, about how does God save people? How does God enter his holiness into our humanity? How does that happen? And, and you'll see his kindness and the way he dives into our mess here in this story. And there are three simple things that happen in the passage. And I just think they're great insights into how Jesus changes everything. Like if you want to experience that change, this is, this is such a great story to see exactly how it is that Jesus does that. And so let's go back to the passage. Again, remember Zacchaeus is hated like extra hated, way more than Matthew would have been hated, and he can't see Jesus, and so he does something to be able to see Jesus. And for him, that something was as simple as climbing up a tree. Here's where we're going to start tonight. If you want to have God's holiness enter your humanity based off this story, you have to start with that. You need to see Jesus for who he is. You have to see Jesus for who he is. In verse 3, it tells us that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Where it all starts for him is that he's interested in seeing Jesus. Um, it, he has something that leads him to want to see Jesus. And, and honestly, like that doesn't sound super special, but I think of how many people in the town of Jericho that day weren't even interested in that. Not everyone saw Jesus come through town. Yeah, he, it sounds like he went straight down Main Street in Jericho, but he did not, not everyone sees Jesus. Zacchaeus is in the part of, of the population that says, actually, I, I have an interest in I'd like to see him. And I think that fact about Zacchaeus is, is so rich, like knowing that he's a rich person and he's hanging out in the crowd also tells us a little bit more about him. Um, like, would you, like, think about the millionaires that, that live today. You wouldn't expect them just to hang out in some crowd, right? Like Jeff Bezos, there's the guy who runs Amazon. Like, you're not just going to find him in the street someday. That's not something that's going to happen. And the wealthy, per, you know, Zacchaeus being as wealthy as he is and that he's showing up in a crowd, I think also tells us he's taking a step. Like, he's taking a specific step. And then for him, in a crowd of people who hate him, like, there's also a little bit of risk involved because, I mean, I think someone could have, like, picked him out and like, oh, my gosh, that's Zacchaeus. Let's beat him up now, now that he's vulnerable in this crowd. And so there's a bit of risk-taking. There's a bit of interest seen in Zacchaeus. And what I'm trying to point out is that we often fail to acknowledge the beauty of taking a small, simple step towards Jesus and, and how much that matters. So many times, you know, I kind of like, behavior-driven idea of Christianity, where it's like, to be a Christian means you don't do all these things. And that might be true, that that's what the Bible teaches, but we have this concept of, of um, you know, Christianity being 
you doing all these things. And so what we don't have room for in church many times is the idea of just taking a simple step towards Jesus. It's like we don't, we don't want people to just go up a sycamore tree to see if they can see Jesus. We'd rather they just like do everything instantly in the moment. And I just don't see that in, in the scriptures. I see Jesus being very gracious in teaching people piece by piece what it meant to follow him. Like think about the disciples. They didn't just get like the whole enchilada at once. It wasn't like here's everything about the kingdom. No, it gets taught to them piece by piece. By peace, and if Jesus hands that to his disciples, and then we're told to make disciples, why do we pretend that becoming a Christian and following the way of Jesus means day one you got to have it all? Like you have to understand everything there is in the Bible. You have to make sure your life fully conforms to it. And this is where I think Christians can be a, a bit unhelpful: is when when someone is 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 needing to learn the way of Jesus, that we're pressing them already because they're kind of in the place where Zacchaeus was, where they're going to get there, but they're just at the part where they're just taking a simple step towards Jesus. And what you're going to see in this passage is that Jesus responds to it. He doesn't ever look down on Zacchaeus. He doesn't scold him for the things that he had done. He instead gets closer to him. And I want us to experience change in our lives. Yes, absolutely. Repentance, all the things I've talked about before, but I want it to be because you guys see it in God's word. Not, I don't want it to be because someone said it from the stage. I want it to be that we, we change because we're learning the way of Jesus. And as Jesus is God and I'm following him and I'm learning his way, then my life has to change through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a very different perspective than just saying, like, I have to do it on my own. And this is what the story of Zacchaeus opens with. It's the idea of just taking a small step. Taking a simple step. So if you're here and you would say, I'm actually, yeah, I, I think I'm just curious about the way of Jesus right now. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, how, how in am I? Like, do I really believe that the Bible is the word of God? Do I really believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Like, I'm, I'm curious about those ideas. And if that's you, first, let me just say, I'm, I'm really glad you're here because you've taken a small step. The fact that you're in this room already says, I've take, you've taken a small step towards Jesus, and what you're going to see in the passages is that's not lost on Jesus. Um, he responds to it, and in every way, even, even if you're not curious about Jesus, maybe you do follow Jesus, but in, in any way where you feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life, and you say, I don't really know what to do, but you can take a small step towards Jesus, God's going to meet you there. We don't have to have all the answers right away. You can just take the step that you know. And then he continues in verse 5 and 6, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked, that's the spot where the tree was, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Right there in that verse, there's the shift. A first shift has happened, and I hope you can see it right there in the verses that we just read. It's happening right in front of our eyes. He moves from where he started was he was just interested or curious might be a good word. He starts at being interested, and then he, he now shifts to welcoming Jesus gladly. And that is not a small term. That is, that is actively wanting to receive whatever it is that Jesus has to offer. So he shifts from being interested, oh, what's this Jesus guy about? And one simple interaction moves him over to, no, no, I want to welcome him 
into my home. And in this culture, like to welcome someone in your home is pretty significant. It's not just something you would do with anyone. So that is a term of saying, I, 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 um, I'm accepting of this person. I'm accepting of Jesus. Jesus is still offering the same thing to us today. He's the one in, in our story. He's the one saying, I want to come over to your house. Our, our role is not to do anything. It's just to simply decide, do you want to welcome him or do you not? He's, he's, he's saying, I want to. I, I see you. You might be up on a tree. You might be curious. But the person who moves you from curiosity into receiving is Jesus saying, hey, I want to I be with you. I want to be in your house. But the question is, are we going to welcome him? And then what happens in the story is the people complain. Why? Because they're like, you can't be friends with Zacchaeus. That guy's the worst. Like, he's literally the worst person we know. How can it be that you're going to hang out with him? And then one more shift happens, and I want you to see it right in verse 8. But Zacchaeus, in response to them kind of complaining at Jesus for him inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house, they say, uh, or sorry, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord. And you might skip over the shift that just happened right there, and that's why I'm trying to slow it down here a bit. Remember, he just wanted to see who Jesus was, then he wants to receive him in his home, and that experience alone, this is where the shift happens. He says, look, Lord. Not look, Jesus. He could have just called him what other people were calling him. He could have called him teacher, which many people were calling him at the time because he taught so many things as a Jewish rabbi. He could have said teacher, but no, he says, Lord. And he says it after standing up. What Luke is bringing attention to here in this story is for someone who had, you know, had to do extra work to just even take steps towards seeing him, he's not letting his stature be an issue anymore here in this moment. He's standing up to say something about what he believes of Jesus, and what he believes is found in that word, Lord. He believes Jesus is Lord. And when he calls him Lord, this is where, this is, this is the place where Jesus changes everything. When we talk about holiness and humanity, and where does Jesus start changing my life? It's right there. It's where you move from, maybe you've seen him from afar, when you say, I, I think he has a lot of good things. I see a lot of good in Jesus. I'm glad I'm around him. When you feel that about Jesus, and then when you move to saying, no, 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 I've decided in my heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is who he said he was. It all starts with you seeing Jesus for who he is. And to see Jesus as Lord is to believe his message, that he has the final say. He has ultimate authority. The things that he said, the way that he's laid out for us to live is the best way to live. And I'm going to believe that even when it's hard. Even when I look at the way that Jesus said, I'm like, man, it doesn't seem like the best way. And you pray that out and you believe in faith. No, I'm going to believe that because he's Lord, if he says this is the way you're supposed to li live, I obey it. I live that out to the, to, through the power of the Spirit, not on my own, but I live that out. And I believe the reason why um, Jesus asked that rich man in, in chapter 18 um, that we started with, where he's like, you know, I followed all these rules, and then Jesus is like, well, you haven't done this one thing, which is to sell everything and give it to the poor. It kind of feels like an odd thing for Jesus to say, but I really think what he's getting at is what Zacchaeus got right, that rich man couldn't get right. What he's saying, he brought up a question, Jesus knowing the answer, what, which is what he's, what he's asking him is, 
Are you willing to give up your current Lord so that I can be your Lord? Are you willing to give up what you think is the highest value in your life so that you can receive me as the highest value in your life? And the rich man in chapter 18 says, no, Zacchaeus is saying, no, no, I will. I will declare that he is Lord. That's the question. Who is Lord? And that's what's really at the center of this passage of what's happening here is Zacchaeus is moving to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And that is the unique part. That is why he's entering the kingdom of heaven. He's believing Jesus for who he is and not just the popular parts of Jesus. Because the things that were popular about Jesus at this time, I actually think the same things are popular about him today. So Jesus as healer, as the guy who's walking through towns and healing physical illnesses, very popular for that. Okay, everyone wants to believe in that Jesus, the Jesus who can take away my disease. And uh, so much so at the time of Jesus that he had to like do different things to stay away from the crowds because the popularity was just skyrocketing from this man who's going through towns healing people. So Jesus is healer, very popular. Jesus is prophet or significant religious figure, also very popular and still popular today. Like no one really denies um, that he's not a significant religious figure. Um, so again, popular message about Jesus. Good guy, had good things to say. think he had very good moral teaching, changed, you know, the course of human history. Like lots of good things came from a very popular thing to believe. But here's where the shift happens. Jesus as Lord, not as popular. Okay, there's not people really like shouting that around places and people just like by the drove saying, oh yeah, we're going to buy into that. This is where the rub happens is yes, everyone would like to have a God that's healing their diseases. That sounds awesome. Everyone would like to have a God who brings a good message that lifts you up and, and you know, you, you're a better person because of it. That's all very popular. But the message of Jesus includes those things. He is our healer, by the way, and he is the one who brought us the way of the kingdom. I'm not saying he's not those things. I'm just saying he's not only those things. Jesus is also Lord. And this is where your and my heart has to make a choice. Because there's no, like, running around this idea of, like, well, he's sort of Lord. Well, that's not how this one works. And I'm not saying every action you, you, we do in life, like, I believe Jesus is Lord, and that doesn't mean I, I act that way every single time. No, there are times I fail. That's very different failing at something that I believe versus not believing it. Those are two different things. Failing at actually living that out is different than simply not believing it. And Jesus being Lord of my life is the biggest question he brings up. And what, what you guys are living right now in the age group that you're in, you are in the years where if you haven't faced it already, you will face this, which is that question, the answer to that question, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If you answer yes to that, that question will be put to the test like, you've, like it's never been put to the test in this decade. I can't tell you the amount of friends I have. I mean, I grew up in a Christian school. I even went to a Christian college. And then I started seeing all these things, different things happen in, in, in some of my friends' life. And ultimately what I can sum it up as is everyone, including myself, we all hit this moment somewhere in these years of that question being put to the test. Is Jesus Christ really the Lord of my life? Or was he only Lord when it was convenient for him to be Lord? And this is why this topic matters so much because you can decide tonight if Jesus is Lord, but the question is, will you believe that no matter what? Even when it doesn't make sense, even when following the ways of Jesus costs you, cost you everything, can you still believe 
that he is who he said he was. Because it might be easier to believe in right now, like we're, we're uh, you know, there's a hundred of us saying like we're worshiping Jesus, we're around godly people, but like some of you are going to move soon. Like this is just a statistically accurate, guys. And some of you are about to move that you don't even know you're about to move. And you might get moved to some town that's, you know, small town and, and you got a job there, which is great. Um, but you, you're struggling to find a church. You don't feel like there's many good options. And that right then is going to be when you have to ask her that question. Is Jesus of your Lord, Lord of your life then? Not when you're here, when it feels like everyone's trying to encourage you in that direction, but is he still Lord of your life then? Or I would bring up what I think is the bigger time where this happens. And that is whenever you get to the point in your life when life doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. My life did not turn out the way I expected it would turn out. If we had time to sit down and I could tell you my whole story, it'd be like, yeah, curveball over here, curveball over here, did not think this would happen, did not want this to happen, and yet all this stuff happened, and we all have to wrestle with the question of, is Jesus still Lord of my life? Or, because it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, then I'm not going to make him Lord of my life. And this is the greatest call of the life of Zacchaeus, is if, if you can look at all the other things, which we're going to see what else it leads to in his life, but you have to come back to this place of, do I believe Jesus was who he said he was? And if the answer is yes to that, then you have enough faith to keep going. And I just have such a heart for those people who, who it's like, we want to believe in God or we're interested in it, but we can't get to that step where we're like, no, but he actually is Lord. And that's the most important part is not just being interested in it. Guys, you can be interested in Jesus and miss the whole thing. <laughs> you can be near it and miss the whole thing. The way you know that you know that you have it is if you believe that he was who he said he was. And Jesus Christ didn't hide it. He said he was God and he says he's Lord. And so it's our job to approach him and say, we will see Jesus for who he is. And then when we do that, when you see him as Lord, then your actions now start to follow. And that's what happens in the rest of verse 8. He continues saying, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. When the belief in Jesus is in place, what that leads to, our second point, would be to embrace the two things he does, which is he embraces generosity and restitution. You have to embrace generosity and restitution. And again, these are good deeds that come from believing in Jesus. These are not the things you do to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus, you simply place your faith in him. You're saying, I believe it. And I'm going to live like it. And I'm going to commit my life to that. But I can't earn it. But once that belief is in place, then it leads to these things. And um, also notice, like, no one asks Zacchaeus to do what he does. Uh, Jesus doesn't tell him. Like, he told the rich man, he was like, do this specifically. Zacchaeus does it of his own accord. It's like once he sees Jesus as Lord, the choices of what to do next are supernatural for him. Like, it, it's not something someone has to tell him to do. And the two things he does is he gives to the poor, and then he, uh, he makes right uh, financially the people that he had cheated as a tax collector. So the first thing is generosity, and he gives 50% to the poor. Now, um, I'm not going to take a ton of time on this because we spent a whole week on the concept of giving, 
and uh, I'll, I'll let you reference that sermon on YouTube if you need to go back to that. But we talked a lot about the history of tithing and the law of tithing and then how we get to temple worship today and all that stuff. But what, what, one of the things I mentioned in that message is just how the New Testament doesn't like diminish that concept. Instead, it presents all these stories of like things increasing. And here would be one of them. Here's someone who seconds after he declares Jesus as Lord is just like, and I'm also going to just give like 50% of everything to help those who are in need. That idea of helping those who are in need is, is everywhere inside of the people of God. It's, it's all throughout the scriptures. Um, and, and the New Testament isn't trying to give you a specific percentage or a number. It's trying to push you to sacrificially give. And for Zacchaeus, like, I, again, this is now personal opinion. It's not inside the passage. I'm just thinking, I think 10% for Zacchaeus would not have been sacrificial. He could have given 10% to the poor and it wouldn't have really made a difference in his life because that's how wealthy he was. He gives so much that it's significant. I mean, 50% of his income is given to help those who are in need and he's not struggling to make that decision. That wasn't a scary decision for him because the purpose of money had just changed for him. The purpose of money prior to him declaring Jesus as Lord is money is for me. And then once he sees Jesus as Lord, he said, actually, anything I have, I want to use it to bless others like God wants to bless others. And I want to do the things that God's people have always done. The purpose of money shifts instantly in his life. And, um, and like I said, I already preached on this, but it's worth asking again here in this passage, do you see financial generosity as a fruit of your belief in Jesus? That's what the Bible would say is if you do believe this, store your treasures in heaven. Like, like put money and invest into helping those who are in need and supporting the work of the church, the work of God in the church. That's why we give. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing he does is that he makes restitution. And he knows he's defrauded people and commits right then and there, after he declares Jesus as Lord, to, to make it right with those people. And um, not just make it right, he's going to give them fourfold the amount he cheated them to, because when you steal, you know, if he stole money from someone a year ago, they had to suffer through that year a ton of things and maybe even lost more and more. And so he's just giving so much back to make it right so that their circumstance can be made right. And restitution um, is not the exact same thing as reconciliation, just as a side note. So reconciliation is the process of making a relationship whole with you and someone else. What Zacchaeus jumps into is restitution, which for some of those relationships, maybe it was the first step. But he, he brings, uh, kind of puts a spotlight on the importance of when you know you did something wrong, you don't need to wait to make it right. See, in reconciliation, that's normally a process that takes time. It takes many conversations. It takes, you know, sometimes help from other people in order for a relationship to be, to made, made, to a re sorry, a relationship to be made whole again. That takes time, but restitution is up to you because you're the person who already knows if you've done something wrong, then you can make it right. If you can make it right today, then you should. If Jesus is Lord and, you, and he shines a light on that in your heart, then you should. It reminds me of this friend of mine who, um, who she, uh, she grew up in the church, but wasn't like, didn't believe that Jesus was Lord. So it's like visually, everyone thought like that person's a great Christian, but you know, behind closed doors, it was like actually, but the, the actions wouldn't represent at all that Jesus is Lord. 
And for my friend, she came to that belief during her college years. But during her high school years, she had built a friendship specifically with one person where that person got a front row seat of, of like the duality of like, well, I'm saying these things about God, but I, I live a very different life than what I'm saying. And that friend had to witness my friend live both those things. And so it was like, okay, this person who's in church saying all the good things is also behaving this way. And it's like, I can't put those two things together. And it's not like a struggle of like, oh, I'm struggling. No, it's like, a, well, this is my life. And then this is my church life. Those were two separate things. And then what happened to my friend is when she in college then realized like, and truly understand what the message, what the good news of Jesus was and what it meant that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when she got to that place, one of the first things that happened early on in those years of saying, no, I really do believe this now, is that of her own accord, she decided, she was like, I think I got to reach out to that person who had to witness like my hypocrisy during, during those years. And I need to apologize because I might have negatively affected their view of God. I might have negatively affected their view of Jesus. And, and I just remember thinking that's such a beautiful picture of what restitution can look like today. Because maybe you guys aren't like cheating people of taxes, but are there things that since you've come to know Jesus, you realize, man, that was wrong. And maybe it was even years ago. And it's not about, it's not about reconciliation necessarily. I actually don't think in the story I just shared, I don't think the person ever responded, but my friend did what she could to make right what she knew was wrong. And she apologized for the fact that she had shown kind of two lives. And she's saying, no, I, I really believe this now. And I wish I could make this right. I wish I could show you how, how my life is changing through the power of the Holy Spirit now. But it's a great sign of restitution. And if we're going to, you know, follow the way of Jesus, we, we're generous with people. And when Jesus is Lord, if there's something you know that you can make right, you do it. And you do it when you can, which is now. And do what you can. Again, we can't change the past. We can't control things that we can't control. But it, it begs the question, is there anything you can do that you could to make it right with someone. And then the passage closes with verse 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, after he, he, these good deeds flow out of Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Um, by him saying a son of Abraham, he's specifically referring to like spiritually a son of Abraham. It's a different way of saying he's entered the family of God. So he's not saying he's Jewish, like son of Abraham, like a descendant of, of Abraham. He's Because he already is a Jew. He's saying spiritually he's now in the family of God. And, and this is why I came. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus shares this verse, which you've probably heard that phrase. Jesus is here to seek and save the lost. And here's what I love about where this passage closes. He's really saying, you need to see how it was Jesus all along. Your story, my story of being interested in Jesus, of finding ways to see Jesus, maybe I climbed a tree, you climbed a different tree, but we did it all to be, because we were curious about Jesus. And it feels like on the front end, like we're finding Jesus. But let me just let you in on what is actually going on in the life of a follower of Jesus is for all the things we felt like we were looking for Jesus, seeking him, we will always look back at our story and what you will see is that it was Jesus seeking us all along. It was him. It was him who was finding us. Zacchaeus jumps up on a tree thinking, I'm going to find Jesus. But then you see it right there in the story. Jesus is the one who finds him. 
He's the one who calls him down. He's the one who says, I'm going over to your house. And yes, Zacchaeus welcomes him, but, but the saving only happened through Jesus. Jesus is the one who seeks and saves. And listen, he's still doing that now. God is still seeking. God is still saving the lost. And his invitation is for us to realize we, we simply just take simple steps towards him. And he takes care of everything else. That's what the story of Zacchaeus is good news for us. Because if you feel like, man, a relationship with God just feels like such a big topic. Zacchaeus is saying, hey, just get on the tree. Just do like whatever it is you think you can know and God will find you. He always takes more steps towards you than you'll ever take towards him. I can give testimony of that. Like I've lived this principle. I've seen it so many ways where it's like, okay, Lord, I'm seeking you. And then in the end, I look back and I'm like, wow, God was up to so many more awesome things that I could have never imagined, and he was the one seeking, he was the one saving. So I'm going to invite the worship team, we're going to close here with a song together, but as we think of these stories, um, there's a tendency to only think of them as a conversion story, right? Like Zacchaeus didn't believe in Jesus, and now he does, but I want you to look at that story, and I want you to see more than just a conversion story. I want you to see a story of how God relates to us. So if there's any um, ever a moment inside of our walks with Jesus and we're saying, man, I don't know what to do, start where, start where Zacchaeus started. Like, see Jesus for who he is. There's so many things in the Christian life where things get really messed up when we're trying to approach God on our own terms. It's like I come to God with this question I have about some verse in the Bible, but ultimately I'm starting from the point of, I have final authority, instead of saying, well, God, what is it that you have said? And, and how can I learn? Like, those are two very different postures, and you have to see Jesus for who he is, not for who you want him to be. And if we're following in this way of Jesus, we ask ourselves, is there, are there good things flowing out of our relationship with God? Or is somehow our deeds and our faith, like, completely disconnected? The book of James, when I taught through that, like, James would say, that doesn't exist. If the faith is real, like, it leads to good things coming out of you. Again, you're not earning anything with God, but when it's real, so are the good deeds. And maybe there's generosity. Maybe there's something God's calling some of you to say, I'm going to generously enter into a space and help someone who's in need. Or maybe there's restitution. There's something you know, and it got brought up to your mind, like, I know I can make this right, I just don't want to. Maybe your yes to God could just be, do that thing. Make right what you know you can make right. And then see how it was Jesus all along. Because that's what, that's what should stir your heart to worship him. And this is why we end tonight in worship. Because when you see it and you look back and you're like, Jesus was the one who sought me. <laughs> Jesus was the one who saved me. That's what fuels our worship. We see Jesus for who he is. He's the son of man who who came to seek and save the lost. And that's the common ground we all have. No one can say, I didn't need saving. No one can say, I was never lost. We're all there. But the awesome thing is that Jesus looks at us and he says, what, might, what you might think is impossible, it's not impossible for me. So let's stand, let me pray for us, and then we'll worship the Lord together.
Father, thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that you're the one who takes the initiative in salvation. You're the one inviting yourself over to our house. The only thing we get to do is just believe. We just get to welcome you gladly into our home. And so, Lord, tonight afresh, we just say yes to you. We want to see you for who you are. Lord, if there's any areas of our lives where we are denying you as Lord, we ask that you would show that to us. And in your kindness and your gentleness, like you always did with the disciples, we just ask that you would give us the next step so that we could more and more align with what it means to have Jesus as Lord of our life. Lord, for that uh, challenge that we see in Zacchaeus to, to give generously, to make things right, Lord, whatever it is that you're stirring in us, would you bring clarity to that right now? Whatever that relationship is, whatever that situation is, God, bring clarity to that. And Lord, our hearts now respond in praise because you're the only one that's worthy of that. No one else sought us the way you sought us. No one else could save us. And when everything seemed hopeless, you stepped in. And so we ask that you would receive this praise as an offering of gratitude. We say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Let me just say that right where you are. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord, who is our Savior. Amen.